Welcome to the Africa Speaking Podcast. The podcast discusses critical issues about the African continent. It is brought to you by Toyota Communications in Nairobi. My name is Kimani Njogu. Today, I'll be talking with Chief Justice Professor Willy Mutunga, and we will be focusing on the question of radical Pan-Africanism. So, Chief Justice uh, Mutunga, if you could start with this whole question of the concept of Pan-Africanism, where did it actually begin? Because it seems like it's a constructed idea. Where did it begin? Um, I guess, historically, we, we might trace it to maybe, you know, Manchester 1945, or even beyond that. Uh, but if we start there, 45 in Manchester, it could have been a continuation of that idea, because I think we cannot ignore the, the anti-colonial struggles that are also happening mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the British Empire. And uh, so... Manchester was radical, you know, uh, in terms of what decolonization, that narrative of decolonization and freedom is what, when we get independence, you know, all over the place, people say actually that was a revolution. Because if you have been dominated and exploited and oppressed for 68 years and you get that to a space like we did in 63, there has been a lot of uh, arguments saying, uh, because of the linkages and the continuities, we should also look at those events and happenings as revolutions. But that's anyway is a debate for another day. But when you take forty-five mm-hmm. and you Manchester take, experience, yes, which brought together, I mean, I think uh, yeah, people from Roma, the Caribbean, yeah, Africa, in the yes, United States, right? Yeah, because Pan-Africanism, we can't confine it to the continent of Africa. There is what we call the African world. That became very clear when uh, George Floyd was killed and uh, Black Lives Matter exploded. And uh, Celeza, you you know, did a great job of... Paul Celeza. Paul Celeza, professor. He tracked the demonstrations, which showed clearly where the African world is. Mm. The continent of Africa itself on, on, on that issue of Floyd, you know, was... Mute, yes. except for Kenya, I think South Africa yes. and, so, and some Nigeria other also. Nigeria also. But mm. we could have been uh, more uh, robust. Mm. So I was just basically connecting this radical idea to all those struggles, not mm. just in the continent, mm. but uh, whether they happen, you know, in the diaspora where, where people are fighting against slavery, you know, and all manner of things. So. After Manchester, obviously, you have to come to Badung in 1955 because also the idea of people saying, you know, we can't have a unipolar world. We've got to have multipolar world so that there's balance. And uh, this is now the Asian and African countries, you know, and later the non-aligned movement, you know, takes place. So kind of a solidarity of... uh community of nations that yes. have, you know, histories that yes. are connected. Yes. Maybe yes. histories of oppression, yes. histories of domination, you know, domination yeah. and so yeah, on. And occupation. Yeah. We are right. And uh, w- when it comes to uh, 58, if we are now coming back to mm. continent, mm. Accra happens. Yes. 
and uh, Boya is there, Nkrumah is there, uh, Lumumba is there, and uh, what is radical about that? It's it's people to people. Pan-Africanism. Yes. It's not states. States right. come later with OEU. That's people to people. Well, trade unions, uh, women's movements, embryonic political parties. So kind but, of horizontal, uh, with the mutual respect, mutual... Yeah. It's not the political elite no. kind of dictating. No, yeah. no, no. The states are out of it. Mm. And that's why when Shivji now talks about resurrecting radical Pan-Africanism, he is he's attacking the states. He says that states are the ones that destroyed people to people, radical Pan-Africanism. So, before mm-hmm. 1963, yeah. uh, what we were seeing then mm-hmm. was um, a kind of people-driven yes. Pan-Africanism, yes. which is a form of resistance yes. against uh, all sorts of dominations, yes. whether it's slavery, whether yes. it's colonialism, yeah. and so on. Yes. And the domination of these uh, emerging elites who, who have now occupied uh, colonial states, mm. and they are not changing them. They are not dismantling them. It seems like the solidarities with the continent of Africa yeah. And the Caribbean, yes. the African diaspora, yeah. was very solid. Yes. And and are we losing it by the time we are coming to 1963? When uh, I think uh, so. Elites? I think so. It's it's it's, it's a, a retreat there. Although when you look at uh, uh, what happens with independence, mm. there are people like uh, the guy who lived in Ghana. Dubois, or? yes, W E B. Yeah, Dubois. Yeah. Yes. And in the case of Kenya. Mm. We also have Padmore. Yes, Padmore. Celebrated. Correct. Okay. Correct. Who else? Uh, Ralph Bunch. Yes, Ralph Bunch. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yes. You know, so the independence, there is uh, tokenism. And also, I think when you think about the Black Panther movement yeah. and them moving to Tanzania, yeah. to Arusha, right. as a right. point of reference, as right. a point of right. retreat, right. Right. it right. seems that... That's, they... that's, that's actually uh, a brilliant point on this issue we are discussing. Mm. Because Tanzania becomes a base, not just of the African liberation movements, uh, ANC, uh, Frelimo, Swapo, the ZANU-PF and ZANU-whatever. In Dan, that's when I I was studying there then. Polisario was there. PLO was there. Mm. Black Panther, you've mentioned. Uh, Black Power. Yes. Okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vietnamese. And there was also Tuparos from uh, Uruguay. Wow. <laughs> so, so South America was also present in Tanzania. Yeah. That's what, I mean, I mean, of course. That's, they, that's, that's a very important point of, uh, you know, answering that particular question or basically saying, look, yeah, we might have retreated, but now I don't think we retreated because Tanzania became the epicenter of, you know, those movements. And for your information... Che Guevara was in Tanzania when he went to Congo, DRC, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm, yes. And this is now documented in a biography by his wife, his uh, Cuban wife. And there are even photographs of... Che Guevara in Tanzania. Yeah, but totally disguised. Yeah. But now, you know, that that is another very important milestone of those connections that we're talking about because Che Guevara was also about revolution Absolutely. you know you know you know in Africa but i think we could say as as you are suggesting there are retreats and then and i think the consolidation of radical pan africanism 
uh, will happen when we, we, we those solidarities come back. Let me take you back a little bit to the early 1960s yeah. when uh, this idea mm-hmm. of a uh, United States of Africa yeah. uh, is being discussed and Kwame Nkrumah yes. is really pushing it yeah. in a sense. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, and Nyerere is talking about the regional ones. Absolutely. Until 1997 when he... Uh, uh, acknowledges that Nkrumah was right and he was wrong. <laughs> so, so looking back at, at that history, it seems as if there were two trajectories to the continental solidarity. So yeah. there was the first one, which was driven by Nkrumah. Yeah. Let us have the United States of Africa right away yes. at independence. Yes. And Nyerere arguing mm. that really we are not ready to do this, but mm. we can do the regional integration. Yeah, and he seems to have won, eh? On, in, in that. Yeah, I think even uh, in the biographies that have come out, uh, Nyerere's intellectual biography done by um, Yaya and Kamanza and uh, Shivji, I th- believe that issue is taken, and the very bitter exchanges that happen in Addis between Nkrumah and Nyerere on that issue. But you see, we cannot judge Nyerere too harshly. No, 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 no. no. I think this is... uh, Nyerere's position was understandable uh, in the sense that we have the first union, (laughs) Zanzibar and Tanzania, and then there's the embryonic East African uh, community, and the West Africans are also doing the same thing. So as an intellectual and ideological and political idea, it's not that it was reactionary. I think they were trying to see, you know, uh, what within those two versions, which which one was uh, uh, going to work. And the history now records that Nkrumah, is the one that should have been followed because yeah. uh, because now we can see yes, the and, and, and see yeah mm. and it seems I'm mean, in my I mean again mm, it yeah. seems that the way Nyerere may have imagined this is mm. so the idea is a construct we yes. are building an, yes. an identity yes. yes and the way you build identity is that you build identity from the very local level and then expand outwards yeah. Yeah. so you start from the family identity mm. to the ethnic identity, national identity, regional identity, and then Pan-African identity. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Nkrumah is saying, no, look, we can actually go direct. It was uh, a great debate. And yeah. uh, in Nyerere said Nkrumah was right upon reflection. I agree with you. It didn't mean that he was wrong. His thinking also has some uh, socialist ingredients that you build from the grassroots uh, the solidarities, you know, begin in two countries and then, you know, other countries. And then you go, you know, up. But in terms of, of the political aspects of it, a United States of Africa at that point, and the issue of Gaddafi reminds us very well about this, where they would have been talking about not just decolonization and uh, helping other countries uh, from apartheid and uh, colonialism, particularly the Portuguese colonies and so forth, but also economic issues about how you secure the African resources, how Africa should have uh, its own currency, which is what uh, Gaddafi, apart from the unity, 
he went into the economics of it and into the resources of it and basically saying Africa now we need to have our own currency encouraging the French ex-colonies to accept his money so that they pay off the French and they are free that's an economic thing. So, again, going back to Nkrumah, mm. you know, where he says, seek ye the political kingdom, kingdom mm-hmm. and everything else yes. will fall in place. Yeah. Yeah. So, he focuses on um, the whole question of liberation, yeah. Yeah. political liberation yes. of the yes. African continent. Yeah. 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 And then you move on to now the economic and yeah. you move on to the yeah. social integration and so forth and so on. I, I was wondering, mm. if before 1963... Mm the Pan-Africanism mm. is being driven mm. by the people mm. and then the political elite take mm. over in 1963 yeah. through the Organization of African Unity yeah. where you mm. how come that the voices of trade unions and the voices of ordinary you know Africans just in the continent as well as the diaspora yeah. suddenly start becoming muted mm. they start becoming silenced mm. in it's, this in this idea it's a great question uh, which has also bothered me and uh, my own uh, interpretation of it or hypothesis is that again going back to what was saying that uh, independence was seen as a revolution by many of us uh, people who, you know, struggled. Even that's how Mau Mau, land and freedom, mommy was betrayed. Yes. yes. Okay, the people basically see this other victory and they basically say, okay, you know, the British are leaving and so forth. So let's consolidate on this. And where there were forces uh, in the Kenya land and freedom, mommy that were saying no, and they were going back to the forest. Yes. We've got to track that resistance. There was resistance, you know, quite clearly identified the, the, the correct political line. But the euphoria and what is happening and so forth, state becoming now the post-colonial state, you know, get because nothing of, gets dismantled. Yeah, it is yeah. a continuity yeah. of the colonial state. The yeah. same infrastructure, the yeah. same mentality. Yeah, and the growing up in the. Uh, 50s and 60s, I can tell you, we we, we all felt this progress. Uh, we're going to school and we are being told, you are going to be the black rulers. Yeah. You know, the white ones are going, you know, this uh, apartheid is being dismantled, the colonial apartheid system in, in Kenya and other places. And so this visible progress, you know, driven. Yes. By now, the embryonic compradors, you yes. know, the, the political elite Correct. all over Africa. Correct. Okay. Correct. Disrupts yes. these uh, particular, con- you know, considerations. Until very quickly, like in the case of Kenya, after how many years? Not many. Yeah. We start realizing that <laughs> there was no independence. Correct. Uh, we start realizing that the people have been uh, lied to. Our unions start being smashed. Correct. Uh, KPU is banned. Yeah. Uh, detentions. Early 1960s, yeah. barely yeah. like three years yes. after independence. Yeah, there is that split yes. between the nationalists, you know, Kagia, Pio Gama Pinto, who is murdered in 65, uh, Jaramogi, yes. and then. Yes, and the one-inch declaration, you read it, it is very, very, very progressive. Mm. Even when he talks about Pan-Africanism, 
is talking about solidarities between unions, women's uh, movements, youth movements, and anti-imperialist political parties, which is against people to people. But our historians never track resistances to these dominant ideas because somebody should have tracked that to basically show, yes, there was euphoria, but it didn't last uh, six years. And uh, people started even talking about a new constitution, the independence constitution was, was colonial and whatever. So, and I think Shivji, when he talks of the resurrection, Yes. I think he's, he's tracking that. And I think that book, I read it a while back. I should read it again in view of your brilliant question yes. to see whether he tracks, <laughs> you know, this retreat yeah. by people to people, yes. solidarities. Yes. Yes. And of course, in our case, you know, unions were also banned. Yes, absolutely. A women's movement can uh, made sure that they became uh, appendages. The cooptation of the trade unions yeah. by the state. And of course, I think that uh, what was also happening at that time, mm. which again destroys the Pan-African solidarities, because yeah. if you look at the pre-60s, yeah. there are solidarities not just within the continent, but also across the continent. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Um, the but the cooptation, world, yeah, the Caribbean yeah, world, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But now with the cooptation, yeah. they become more nationalistic yeah. in terms of their view. Yes. And yes. they seize the connections. Yeah. yeah. And they are caught up with the, the national, you know, struggles. Yeah. And then the states now in 63 basically tell us that uh, Pan-Africanism is, is going to be driven by states. And at that point, the states we are talking about in 63 from the embryonic mm. political classes and so forth are sellouts. Absolutely, because they have been midwifed, as yeah. it were, yeah. by the departing colonial regimes. Yes, and they have occupied the colonial uh, state structure, and they are very comfortable with it. Uh, you look at the whole Kenya thing, the handshake, the first handshake in 64, Correct. political handshake, that's much is uh, the African People's Party of Ngei, Kadu, and then they come together. Correct. Okay? Correct. And, uh, and then the assassinations begin. Yeah, assassinations begin, then Ngugi, I think, argues that that merger, yeah. you know, that handshake in 64, was terrible yeah. because it strengthened the hands of the compradors in Kanu. And that's why the split happens in Lumuru when uh, Kagia and uh, Jaramogi and uh, Dennis Akuma and others basically say on issues of land, on issues of um, uh, invisible governments that Odinga talks about in, yes. you know, in 67, yes. in 64. Yes. Uh, 67 is when he publishes his book. Yes. Coincidentally, same time as The Reds and the Blacks by right. William Atwood. Okay. Same okay. time. Yes. Uh, so when in uh, it's chapter 14 uh, of Not Yet Uhuru, when Jaramogi talks of indivisible government, he had in mind what the Americans were doing and what they did actually in Limuru. Because this was also the period of the Cold War, yeah, intensity, right, intense right. Cold War, yeah. Yeah. and the determination yeah. uh, of the Americans and the British yeah. to contain 
the African continent. Yeah. So we have like progressive leaders like Lumumba being yeah. assassinated. Yes. So that the radical Pan-Africanism mm. is contained yeah. not just by the Comprado component yeah. uh, that has taken over power, yeah. but also by machinations from from the West. Yes, yeah? that Cold War aspect is important because you can you can also you know uh, link it to the struggles that come out of Bantung. Because it's it's the whole question of non-aligned movement and these solidarities mm. outside the new empire, which is the American imperialism, were not welcome, particularly with the Cold War, as you're mentioning, and those alignments. And then we shouldn't forget what happens in Cuba. There's a revolution yes. there. Yes. Yes. 49, there's a revolution in China. Correct. Okay. Correct. And as the 60s end, uh, there is a vicious war in Vietnam Correct. that ends with a revolution in 75 Correct. when they win. Correct. So the Cold War then, even the split of, you know, Korea. Correct. I mean, China and uh, America almost went into war. So oh, in a, a conversation of Pan-Africanism then ought to be seen within this larger global... Yes, and, uh, and the retreats and, the, and the, you know, the movements forward the resurrection, as she says it, because it's historicized and uh, contextualized in the sense that, okay, we now have a, an empire, uh, the Soviet Union in 1989, the Berlin War collapses and so forth. Uh, and that's how I look at that resurrection. It's, it's, as you say, it has to be seen within those changes correct, correct. That, that are happening. Because it's a very powerful, I mean, uh, Pan-Africanism is, is, is a very powerful narrative. When you look at liberation, you look at land, you look at resources, you look at how Africa is being, you know, raped. No wonder when, it's, when he read, uh, Rodney wrote how... Walter Rodney, how yeah, Europe underdeveloped Africa. Yeah, I understand there's somebody else who has written how... Africa developed Europe. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and actually such a book is critical because the development yeah. of uh, Europe yeah. is absolutely driven and actually the americas yeah. driven by events on the continent yeah. they're the stealing that is going on and uh, you know when people talk about welfare capitalism uh, between 45 and 75 before we get to neoliberalism Shibuji says, and I agree with him, people don't say that this warfare happened because of the warfare against the colonized people. That's where the resources came from Absolutely. to rescue the British ruling classes from their own people. So ex extensive extraction, yeah. not just of human resources, yeah. Yeah. but actually of natural resources yes. located on the continent. Of course, so what's amazing is the extraction of the resources yeah. and then creating Africa as the market yeah. for those same yeah. resources that yeah. were extracted from the continent <laughs> yeah. in the first yeah. place. Yeah. And that's, that background shows how people who uh, vilify Gaddafi show great ignorance. So let us talk about yeah. Gaddafi. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I I visited Libya, yeah. uh, uh, Sirte, mm -hmm. to attend a conference which mm -hmm. was taking place then. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely shocked mm -hmm. to learn so much mm -hmm. about the ways in which Gaddafi mm -hmm. had made it possible for housing, yes. for healthcare, yeah. and for dignified lives, yeah. as, as it were. Yeah. And then, of course, now there is all these mm -hmm. things that happen. Mm -hmm. What 
in your assessment mm. is Gaddafi's role or what should we be looking at mm. in terms of his contribution to Pan-Africanism or radical Pan-Africanism? I think we should glorify it. Mm. Horace Kamba has done that. Yes. His book on the uh, the bombing of, of uh, Tripoli by NATO, Yes. which shows very clearly why Gaddafi and why Tripoli, why Libya was just bombed. The connection between Hillary, there's a lot of stuff from Hillary Clinton, Clinton, uh, Sarkozy, you know. the French president. Yes, the Americans wanting to prop the French also, you know. The issue of the currency, the way it was conceived. And of course, the unity of Africa, whether a lot of people say, oh, you know, he wanted to be president. So what, why, why can't he be president? (laughs) You know, what is the problem? And there's so much propaganda against him. He wanted, I mean, so he was thinking more of a kind of a federation. Yeah. The various states, but with a powerful, I mean, the African continent has like one billion people, you know. Yeah, and I think he combined uh, Nukuruma's vision very well. Basically saying it's a political kingdom. So we have United States of Africa. And we safeguard then our resources. Mm. And then within the world, we becoming a multiple world. We contribute to that so that we're not just ruled by one empire. That, you know, is the case. And you see that idea is coming up again. You see uh, the struggles in Russia, the struggles uh, in China. And if you look at that aspect about currency, there is a book I read on currencies. I can't remember the author, but it's called Exorbitant Privilege. Mm-hmm. Exorbitant Privilege. Yes. And it talks about the dollar. Mm-hmm. The fact that the, the American empire is propped up by military and the currency. You'd call it the tyranny of the dollar. <laughs> yes. It's almost like really the tyranny of the American dollar. In the world. And you people forget that, uh, you know, while we salute the greatness of the Chinese in, in the, the creation of a multipolar world, but they haven't dared said their yuan yes. is equal to the, to the dollar. No, not yet. And uh, Gaddafi did it before them. Yeah. Eh? And the people are not seeing the, uh, the connection because the moment... Uh, and I think uh, uh, during the war in Ukraine, that aspect came up also. So, oh yeah, it's coming up. I mean, the, you know, the with the ruble, and uh, you could see how it upset the Americans. Oh yes, on uh, on issues of what because of its ability to destabilize economies. Yes, yes, and uh, it's the moment we 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 don't allow the American Empire to print dollars. <laughs> oh, and if they print them, it becomes as useless as our currency. Uh, that's where Gaddafi's, you know, greatness sits. And I think radical Pan-Africanism, without looking at those issues and completely confronting this propaganda, you know, about his madness, okay? And if we go back to history, even Kenyatta was called a communist. Oh, yes. So the branding, you it know. It minimizes the complexity of the individual yes, yes. and their contribution. Um, and that's why I was telling Horace. I told Horace, talk to Kimani Wajogu. Mm. This book you have written, Correct. it's not available in Kiswahili. Correct. It can Correct. be translated, Correct. you know, Correct. and it can be completely popularized. Correct. 
because it's making an argument that is at the margins, but it's so critical for, you know, radical Pan-Africanism, because if we are going to resurrect radical Pan-Africanism, this, what we have decided, that historical trajectory of uh, Nukuruma, of, uh, of, of Nyerere, we've talked about unions and uh, people to people Pan-Africanism being destroyed because of the state that come up and what they do since 1963, you know, the, our leadership in Africa has become captives of the ruling classes of the West. So I want And to now take, the East. Absolutely. So I want to take you back mm. a little. Radical Pan-Africanism is not going anywhere. It's gaining momentum. I think that there is more consciousness, especially within the context of COVID-19. Yes. Black Lives Matter. Yes. Roads might yes. fall. Yes. You know, all yeah, these yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting things. Yes. Fees, so, fees must fall. Yes, yeah. that one. Yes. So yeah. it seems like radical Pan-Africanism is not going anywhere. Yeah, because our historians don't track resistance. That is something that annoys me a lot. Because, you know, I think there is, the truth is, where there is domination, exploitation, and oppression, and so forth. There is resistance, however minimal. Absolutely. There are voices that are saying, this is not right. And uh, historically, you can even trace it within religions. When Jesus and Muhammad started, there were voices in the wilderness. But uh, historians tend to be episodic. And uh, they, they kind of do not look at the continuities. Continuities, uh, but it's very interesting because they and, and the linkages because the, that's what uh, Rodney's history is about. He says you cannot start writing about, uh, and I, I guess Maina Kenyatis yes. tries that in his own way. Mm-hmm. That without Harry Thuku and KCA, yes. okay, yes. Uh, without uh, Mekitilili, yes. Wamenza. Mm-hmm. You know, without the Mau Mau, without the independence movement, and even without KPU, you know, those connections, as you you come to the so-called second liberation, uh, nobody's connecting all those dots. And those continuities are very, very, very important, particularly for the youth, to basically see the ebbs and flaws, you know, of uh, struggles. This concludes our first episode in the two-part series of this podcast with Chief Justice Professor Willie Mutunga, President of the Supreme Court of Kenya. Thank you for listening to the Africa Speaking Podcast. Join us in our next episode, brought to you by Triza Communications. My name is Kimani Njogu. For any comments and views, you can reach us through our website www.africaspeaking.org You can also reach us on Facebook Taweza Communications or on our Twitter handle at Taweza Coms. You can also write to us on email info at africaspeaking.org